0: How about that cigar? How about that cigar? Well, guys, thanks for joining us. Uh, If you are listening to the audio podcast, thanks for listening. And if you are joining us right now on Facebook Live, thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time for episode number
1: 27. Yeah, say it.
0: You're right, 27, episode number 27 of How About That Cigar. Uh, Again, we want to thank you guys for watching. If you would, take just a moment And share this out right now Mm -hmm. live on Facebook to your favorite cigar groups. We would appreciate that very much before the uh, the uh, the authoritarians at Facebook decide to shut down everything related to cigars. Let's uh, you know get it in there before they close close up shop Mm -hmm. on us. Find cigar loving people. Uh, So Garrett, as always, the beginning of uh, every show we talk a little bit about the Minnesota Twins, and there's there's just there's good things to talk about the Twins. I mean. They had a struggle, you know, mid-season, they had a mid-season slump. Mm-hmm. But honestly, their their magic number is 3 right now. Three. Um they are up on Detroit as we speak. And uh they're just they're really playing well. They've still, you know, they've got some guys who are, you know, getting some rest from some more minor injuries, fortunately nothing severe. Um I mean, Cruz hits his 400th home run. I know. I mean, that is just just to it's so cool to see you know uh you know see a guy who's been in the league for so long yep you know finally hit number 400 that was a great um and it was a great home run too oh it was like gosh. an upper decker crushed it yeah so he's been uh he's been doing phenomenally lately and and it seems like the bats are hot once again they are um and i don't
1: know what's what's going on i mean i think our bullpen is that's what our season's yeah. going to, you know...
0: And that's what it's going to come down to. Fortunately, yeah. the, bullpen, the bullpen seems to be on an upswing. They seem to be doing a little bit better now. Um, so, you know, we, we've we only got, uh, I think, five seas- uh, five regular season games left. Uh, Magic number's three. Uh, so we, we want to clinch the division, you know, and that'll help a lot uh, moving into the postseason. And hopefully we can continue, you know, the rally moving forward. Um. And the, uh, you know, Green Bay Packers won. My Green Bay Packers won. uh, And uh, Garrett's Minnesota Vikings won against Mm -hmm. uh, um, the Raiders. We were just talking about this a minute ago. I forgot already. The
1: Raiders, they won against the Raiders. They did. They uh, destroyed. It just wasn't... um, Yeah, it wasn't a a real great contest. Yeah. So... But
0: it seems, I mean, everybody, regardless of whether you're a Vikings fan or not, had their concerns about Kirk Cousins those first two games of the season. But he did really well against the Raiders.
1: And and the Raiders don't have a give-me-defense. They just don't have much of an offense. Uh, So, um, you know, the – who knows at this yeah. point. I'm a Minnesota fan so I will be optimistic. Yeah. Until they are down by 2 points and then I'm a pessimist. <laughs> and then everything's horrible. And everything sucks. We're not going to win anymore. Yeah. So um so guys,
0: uh again, we're grateful that you joined us on How About That Cigar this evening. We have a guest that i've been excited to have on the show mm-hmm. for a while uh there was a there was a, a big storm a few weeks ago so we had to reschedule uh but he was kind enough to uh to get back on the schedule with us and we are so grateful right now to be joined by mr mm-hmm. jeff Borshowitz. jeff how are you Chef. doing this evening
2: doing fantastic guys i'm glad we can make this show
0: Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much. So, um, just really quick, check us in with, uh, you know, how, how everything is cleaning up now after, uh, I mean, the storm didn't hit nearly as hard as it could have in your area. So how are things going now?
2: Yeah, that was Dorian, this, the, this, the, uh, hurricane that scared everybody in Florida, but we got fortunate. Didn't even, didn't even come on shore here really. And, yeah, uh, we were fine, but, uh, you know, obviously the Bahamas got kind of leveled there, but, um, in the bad part, it was so slow and everything was closed. And like in central Florida felt like for a week. Because yeah. We were in hurricane mode. but, uh, we got through it. No problem. And, uh, we're not out of the season yet, but we got lucky.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Good deal. So, so guys, for, for those of you watching and listening, um, Jeff has a role in so many different facets of the cigar industry. And that's why I think it's so interesting for us to be able to learn from him because, um, Jeff's in retail and uh, Jeff also does um, uh, farming and working with tobacco plants and tobacco curing and things like that. And Jeff also plays a plays a big part as much as he can in in helping with uh, lobbying legislation and helping to prevent and try to reduce government overreach and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, Jeff, give us a little bit of. Sort of the chicken and the egg story, as far as what really came. When it comes to the premium tobacco business, what came first for you was it? Was it? I mean, obviously as a consumer, but then then was it retail or or how did you sort of get involved in the premium tobacco business? So in
2: 1996, I started Chrono Cigar, uh, a business out of my house, and our uh, the genesis of Krona Cigar was a mail order catalog. Hmm. So did that for two years. We had just the, the mail order catalog and then we developed com. This was back in, uh, we started in 96 and then in 1998, we launched our website. And the technology back then was new. I mean, we're still yeah. using, you know, old dial up modems and AOL and all that kind of stuff. And we were uh, one of the first stores to have what's called the, the secure socket layer. That was the, because before that, <laughs> Before that, people used to have to email credit cards. And so um, we hooked up with a local company who's like, listen, we can put your catalog and your store online and have people do orders uh, with their credit cards. And um, that was how we got into the, the online cigar business. Okay. And then, uh, uh, shortly after that, like a year later, I uh, moved the business out of my house because it just got too big. Um, and we opened up a very small brick-and-mortar cigar store in a town called Ocoee, which is just outside of Orlando. And then from there, um, before we really got into the big brick-and-mortar brick with cigar bars and the way people know of Corona Cigar today, um, we actually got into the uh, making of cigars with certain factories. Um, I remember my, just this will kind of date this, but the uh, first cigar factory I went to was in Costa Rica back when uh, Tony Borhani and CAO made their cigars. Wow.
0: And, uh, oh yeah. It was Tony from uh, Bahia cigars.
2: That's right. So, um, yeah, was, I went, that was my first cigar factory I ever went to. And, uh, this, they were making the cigars in Costa Rica. And then shortly after that, the, the first factory I went to in Honduras was with, uh, with, uh, Eric Espinosa and, uh, Christian Eroa at the time, Eric used to work for Christian Eroa. So, um, we started making cigars with with Christian, in um, doing private labels, and then uh, Oliva just opened a factory in Tampa, uh, Jose Oliva and Gilberto Oliva, and then we started making cigars with them, and and then uh, next thing you know, we're making cigars with Nick Perdomo, and and just everything just kind of grew from there. And I met a fellow named Kiki Berger. He's no longer with us, but uh, mm-hmm. Kiki Berger, his wife still uh, has the Don Kiki cigars and um, Cuban crafters. But uh, I I used to spend a lot of time with the guy with Kiki and with uh, Jonathan Drew and really just exploring Nicaragua from border to border. And uh, I fell in love with the culture and brought that uh, at the time, all the cigar stores were very, very much like a country club and, and, you know, leather furniture and jazz music and just not real. uh I don't know, just not my style, just kind of, you know, boring it, you know, just, I don't know. So I was like, the energy in a cigar factory is not boring. It's very high energy and, you know, Latins and their music going and all this other stuff. And so I wanted to build a cigar store that brought that Latin vibe. And, and so we opened up the big Corona cigar on Sand Lake road in Orlando um, with a bar and, had all the furniture made in Nicaragua, and we put them loaded them up in containers and brought them over, and uh, had a real authentic um, Central American feel. And the bar side of the business was a uh, was an unknown for me, because we knew we knew mail order, we knew internet, and we knew the the, the retailing of cigars, but I didn't know how it was going to work with having the cigar bar side, because you know retails all about how much you pay per square foot for your rent and how much revenue you turn off of the square feet. So, um, but the bar was a big success. It worked out very well. Um, Florida just passed the clean indoor air Act, where you couldn't smoke anywhere inside with the exception of a cigar store or a cigar bar. And, uh, so it worked out well. And from there, we just replicated that, uh, that concept, each store that we built. Um, I saved more money. I mean, there's there's no partners. I always joke that I started Corona Cigar. My partners were MasterCard, Visa, and Discover, and, and the bank. Um, so, <laughs> it, we, uh, you know, each store, as as the company grew, I was able to invest more money in each store and make them nicer and bigger. So today we, we have uh, three giant cigar stores and cigar bars in Central Florida. Uh, and then we have the world's largest Davidoff store in Tampa. And then we um, we have a, a, a warehouse that does all our shipping for the mail order and internet and distribution for our stores. So that kind of sums up the the twenty year period, twenty I guess it's twenty three years of retailing uh, into about three minutes. <laughs> Fantastic.
1: Yeah. Now, if uh, if I can have you go back, so you started uh, Corona in ninety six. Yes. But what happened between X and 96 where you fell in love with cigars or um, tell us a little bit about that?
2: So my first cigar I had was at my uh, younger sister's wedding. Uh, uh, One of my cousins uh, was down from Chicago and and he brought a five pack or something of Swisher Sweets. And that (laughs) and that that was like in 19, probably like 1992 maybe. And then uh, I had a good buddy of mine that we used to go fishing with, and, and uh, him and I just started smoking Prima cigars. And uh, so I had a I had a passion for cigars. I was running my father's automotive uh, service center.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I was a ASC certified uh, automotive technician, and we had a real successful business. And so um, what's interesting is that, you know, I went to University of Central Florida and got a, a business degree but I can tell you some of the most valuable lessons I learned uh, in business and in life was running the automotive center. Um, Mm. It's a much more high tech industry. Um, Not only the, you know, the the computers and electronics and everything else involved in cars, but the industry as a whole, it's a a very large industry that was um, had a lot of resources for training them how to run a business. And, um, it's a it's a difficult industry it's very hard work and mm-hmm. um, time is money in that industry I mean it's the two industries that, that track time down to the hundredth of an of a hour is lawyers and automotive technicians and so because you're selling your your labor rate or your billable hours whether you're a, a, a technician or a lawyer it's all based on time mm-hmm. so there are There's a lot of lessons to be learned in that industry and there's a lot of money behind the, you know, the businesses that are in it. I mean, think about it. You got Goodyear, you got Firestone, you got General Motors, you have Ford, you have, you know, big companies um, that are much more sophisticated versus looking at the cigar industry, which, which is a mom and pop industry, but doesn't, even to this day, is not that sophisticated when it comes to, Let's say POS systems and, and marketing and things like that. So, I had a lot of good lessons um, from running the automotive service industry, and, and also, or running a business in that industry, and also about taking care of customers. I mean, um, customer service is everything when you're dealing with the automotive side. Um, it's you know, word of mouth and referrals is key in that industry, and your reputation is everything. So, uh, going into the cigar business, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was a greenhorn when it came to business. So that, and and what's interesting is that the skills I learned as an automotive technician as well, if I didn't have those skills, I would not be able to do the the tobacco farming that I do today. Mm, Okay. And the reason I bring that up, we're jumping to the tobacco farm, but the reason I bring that up is when you have a piece of equipment or a a machine that you use to like sew the tobacco or an implement that you you specialized implement that you use at the farm. It's not like you call up the local automotive repair or repair shop and say, Hey, my tobacco sewing machine is broken. You know, you don't those guys, so you have to fix things yourself or be able to figure things out and then teach folks that work uh, at the farm, how to do those kind of things.
0: So, um, just briefly going back to the retail piece, you know from from that threshold of the door at the shops when somebody goes into one of your shops, what is it that that you hope to and you and and that you instill in the in in the people that work at those retail shops and the people who manage those retail shops for you what is the the most important thing that you want to get across to them that that's that you want to convey to each one of those customers that comes through the door in the retail shops? What's the, what, what do you see as the most important thing?
2: That's really easy. Our tagline has always been on everything we use. It's it's the ultimate cigar experience and Hmm. been the focus of the retail uh, since day one. And that when you come in to smoke a cigar, um, you're not just buying a cigar. You're, you're, it's, it's an experience. So not only does the cigar have to be, Great, but the shopping experience, the interaction with a customer, you know, listen, when people come in and buy cigars, they want to talk about cigars. Yeah. They want to learn that, you know, it's a culture. So that experience starts from the time they walk in the door. And a lot of our cigars are, are consumed on premise, which is what we like, because that's part of the experience. Being able to sit and smoke cigars around other people that enjoy cigars as much as you do. And that great conversation that that, that comes out of that and the camaraderie that that's in the you know in a cigar shop or um just the whole experience so it it, it starts from before the before the guy walks in the door because when you walk up to a store it needs to look nice right so this experience starts from the time the guy parks his car
3: yeah.
2: And it ends actually as he's as he's leaving and we want him to not only enjoy his experience but tell others about that experience and you know with the internet today between Google reviews and Yelp reviews and, and social media, Instagram things like that, um, the, the, the experience that someone has in a cigar shop is everything.
3: Yeah,
0: um, I want to tell people really quick about what uh, what I picked up for Garrett and I to smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jeff, I without without telling you, I went on and I picked up some of these, um, the Corona Cigar Company 20th Anniversary, of the Nicaraguan selection, That's and, great. We just we fired these up just before we went live, and uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not just you know blowing sunshine here. Uh, it's really really good.
2: Thank you, uh, um, absolutely.
0: Tell us about um, so let's let's move in a little bit to the farming piece. Um, I've got a bunch of questions myself about the farming piece, but but first of all, tell us when you. When you got into um, tobacco farming and what the process looked like where you ended up playing a part in being a tobacco farmer?
2: Well, there's a period that that is in front of that, and that's the political period. Um, that was a, a chapter of, of my life, of, of being in the cigar industry that started back in 2007 and carried on, still carries on to this day. One of the things that um, when we would, you know, we started lobbying up in Washington, D.C. because of a cigar tax, the chip, and that stands for the State Children's Health Insurance Program.
3: Yeah.
2: cigar tax at the time was five cents per cigar, and the proposed tax was gonna go uh, up to $10. That's what and the
0: capital- Sorry to interrupt, Jeff, but remind me, was that 2012?
2: No, that actually started in 2007,
0: 2007. Okay.
2: The only thing that kept us in business was George Bush's veto. Okay. And they tried to override that veto too. It was very close. It was 16 votes that kept that bill as written from passing uh, as is. And if it would have passed, basically 90% of the retailers would have been out of business overnight because it had a floor tax. Let me explain the floor tax to you. Um, at the time we had probably about two million cigars in stock now we're probably got I don't know close to four million cigars in stock but let's say let's use let's just use a million cigars if a, if a store or a business had a million cigars in stock and you had to pay the cigar tax as written there was no cap on it or, I'm sorry there was a cap of ten dollars you would have to write a check for every for the tax on every cigar in the shop Now, remember, cigars don't turn quickly, like a cigarette Mm
3: -hmm.
2: does. you go to a 7-Eleven, those marbles that you see on the shelf, they maybe have a week of inventory. Um, A lot of cigar stores, the average in this industry is to turn your inventory about three times a year. So that means you're hanging on the inventory about four months, four months worth of inventory. Now, there's some stuff, for example, limited editions, we'll buy – Sometime a year or two years worth of inventory because when you come in the Corona cigar, we want to make sure we have those limited special cigars. So we'll have to, you know, we have to front the money on that stuff. We have to buy it when they come out and buy heavy so that you know you'll have those, let's say, a limited edition Avo or a limited edition Davidoff that comes out. That's why we have those cigars because we we spend a lot of money on on fronting that inventory.
0: Well, and not only the not only buying the product from the manufacturers, but also paying all the tax up front.
2: That's right. So, so the manufacturer have to pay the tax up front, but then the retailer would have to pay a floor tax on what he had. Yeah. So when that bill went through, we were in the middle of building our, our uh, downtown Orlando store, which is a very big store, very high rent, very expensive area. The build on out on it at the time was a little over a million dollars. The, um, we had signed the lease, and when you sign a lease for a retail space as a as a uh, business owner, you have to put everything. Uh, you have to personally guarantee everything. So it means that if you default on that lease, or you don't even open, the landlord will come after you, and you either have to face bankruptcy or lose the rest of your company as well. So it's a it's a very risky move every time you do a, you know, high risk high reward type of thing. But we had just signed the lease. We just signed a. Uh, a construction contract for over a million dollars and the bank had pre-approved the business loan but they don't issue the money until the construction company starts to draw money as they build the store so we we just started that process and that's when the s chip came out and it was so risky that sun trust who was our bank that had approved that loan the underwriters called and said we got to call that loan back so i was in a pickle And I say I was in a pickle, I was really in a bind. So that's how I got involved in politics and going up to Washington, Washington, D.C. and telling the story. And I would say 99% of lawmakers that we spoke to and and told that story to, uh, they were very, um, not only did they listen, and I don't want to use the word that they cared, but let's just say, this was an unintended consequence. They did not mean for it to do what it was gonna do. Because at the end of the day, they don't wanna kill the cow. They just wanna milk as much tax money out of it as they can, right? So we were able to get the floor tax removed on premium cigars. Uh, and in the in the industry as a whole, we fought that and got the, uh, the, the $10 cap to come down to, uh, it's about 51 cents per cigar. It's huge. So, so one of the things that kept coming up, we talked about, you know, we we're at the IPCPR and CRA and everything else. We kept talking about how many cigar stores in, are in a country. And they kept asking about, well, how many tobacco farms are there? In the only tobacco farms in Florida, in the United States, are up in Connecticut. Florida used to have, but we don't have it anymore. They'd also ask about factories. At the time, there were only two factories, and actually three factories in the U.S. that were still making cigars. You had J.C. Newman in Tampa, you had a company in Indiana that was making, uh, uh, man, it was some very small brand. I think they're out of business now. And then there was one in Pennsylvania that was making those parodies or denoblis. Hmm. I don't even know if they make those there anymore either. <clears throat> so I saw a need for, you know, if we could get a farm going back in Florida, because Florida used to do cigar tobacco it was the second largest producer of cigar tobacco in the united states after connecticut and the last crop was grown in 1977 and and this industry had been around since before the civil war so we knew that florida you could grow great cigar tobacco here and so i had a passion for farming i was in the future farmers of american high school and uh you know and and i loved whenever i travel through Central America and spend time with, you know, with Eduardo Fernandez, who's one of the largest growers in Nicaragua, or, you know, Nick Perdomo or Christine Rose's dad and stuff. I always loved the farms. So I wanted to start a tobacco farm in Florida. And so that's the genesis of why, why I got into it. There's no financial reason to do it because at the end of the day, um, you can't grow cigar tobacco For profit, it's impossible because, you know, listen, we're competing against labor rates in Central America that are a little over $5 a day uh, for farm workers. And here in the U.S., it's going to cost you, you know, 40 times that, you know, what it costs per hour for labor. um, Plus, it's the workers aren't as productive as they are in those other countries as well. So... The idea for the tobacco farm was to bring back in a small way a long lost type of, of tobacco that can be blended into cigars and bring something back um and i look at it as like a chef a chef has all these different ingredients and, and let's say you, know, you have you have steak and you have and you have uh, pork and you have chicken and duck and venison and all so that kind of stuff
1: well imagine
2: let's say lobster was no longer available right well you know, we brought back lobster as an option for a chef to work with. And so that's the way I view it is that it's a, it's an ingredient that's very distinct. FSG tobacco, fortunately is a very distinct uh, aroma and taste. And, um, we blended into a whole, uh, line, a lot of, a lot of different cigars, including the one you're smoking now. Yeah. Awesome.
0: And, um, so we, we got to bring up, uh, we, I put it up on the screen, but, uh, uh, Rafael N- Nodal says hi, and he says, uh, "Great people, great store, great cigars."
2: Yeah, Rafael was a great addition for Altadis too. I mean, let me <laughs> let me do with Rafael. What's funny is, I mean, <clears throat> I used to buy a brand called Oliveros Long Lady. Oh yeah, probably, yeah. Okay? that's the genesis of Rafael's company. I mean, that's how long it's been.
1: we so, it were a
2: fantastic a- stick. And I sold a ton of those back in the '90s. By the way, yeah,
0: yeah, I remember. um, It's funny enough; it it was not that long ago. I mean, not that long, uh, relatively speaking. Within the last couple of years, uh, a guy that I know broke open uh, an old box of Oliveros, and and I said, "Are you? Where did you get these?" He said, "I bought them 20 years ago." Okay, all right. Let's uh,
2: let's fire them up, quick, because. In 1996, when I started, I man, it was tough in the business because we couldn't get cigars, and so the first brands that we started with was like you know Don Tomas, Estrel, uh, Don Juan, Casique.
0: Oh wow, yeah.
2: Centennial, Teamo, yeah. Don Teo, Oliveros, Ornelas. I can still remember all these cigars because I wrote the catalog, so yeah, so I knew all the products that were in it, but uh you know, we couldn't get stuff like Mac and, you know, we couldn't get part We couldn't get Fuente. We couldn't get, you know, anything that had a big name, they were so far on backwater. They weren't taken into account. So yeah, uh, it was, it was a totally different, uh, totally different industry at that time.
1: And we got a, a bit of an update too. Richard. Let us know that uh, Perotti cigars are still being made and they're still great.
2: That's good. Cause uh, there's not many, you know, the factories that do it, you know it's it, it, believe it or not it's cheaper to make cigars by hand in Central America than it is to make a, a cigar on a machine in Pennsylvania and so um, oh. yeah but that that company's been around for, for a very long time um, I wish they were a little more politically active but what happens is a lot of times when those companies get old uh, you know the future doesn't always look you know they're not the Newmans are 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 the are the prime example of how to take a company, been around for 125 years, fourth generation, that continues to move forward and grow. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, that's we're very fortunate to have the J.C. Newman cigar factory still in Tampa.
1: Absolutely. So, uh, piggybacking a little bit on that last comment of being politically active, is there kind of a um, a club or a group of people that you know are warriors for the cause? And and then those that sit on the sideline and what's what's the the kind of culture there and the relationship that gets built or is seen from that aspect.
2: Well, I'd say the industry now is is light years ahead of where it was um, when you know the shit was hitting the fan in two thousand seven. Um, there's just there was no representation uh, for us. When I say us, I'm talking about retailers and premium cigar. Uh, manufacturers. The CAA has always been up there, uh, and they did a pretty good job, but and the CAA stands for the Cigar Association of America. However, you have to look back at what the CAA, their, prim- their primary funding was coming from at that time, was coming from John Middleton, which was own- owns the black and mild brand, Swisher, Swisher Sweets, Altidus, and General Cigar. Those are your four big companies, and Altidus and General Cigar, at the time, their, their major you know their their cash cows were you know machine made cigars or or you know like backwoods and fillies and, uh, um, and things like that so they're while they protected the cigar category as a whole the premium cigars uh were, is not the primary focus or premium cigar retailers either um where we are today though uh, between the ipcpr or pca whichever name you want to call them uh in the cra the industry has, has had to get active. We've learned that the threats are real in that if you're – I hear a lot of people talking about, you know, we're not seeing a win. We're not seeing a win, meaning that we're not seeing the FDA regulation go away. Um, I can tell you this. If you look at what the environment was back in 2007, and 2008, um, we weren't even known. When you're in Washington, D.C., I'm telling you right now, 99% of the, of, of the offices didn't know the difference between a Macanudo and a Marlboro, okay? They had no, it, to them, tobacco was tobacco. And a matter of fact...
0: I know a lot of people like that even today. Yeah, <laughs> well,
2: but I, I can, let me tell you how it was before, too. A lot of the politicians, especially the Democrats, they were afraid to even take a meeting with you because they didn't want to... They. The, the anti-tobacco and health groups are so entrenched in Washington D.C. that all of a sudden they, you know, a staffer would make a phone call. Hey, some guys are here from the cigar industry, and you know, the next thing you know, Tobacco Free Kids is getting a phone call, and American Cancer Society, and all the health groups that were always attacking us. And so there were offices that wouldn't even take meetings because they didn't—they didn't want anybody from the tobacco industry in there, in their office. So we used to knock on those doors and meet these people. And the whole point was, we know that those people aren't going to become supporters of our industry at all. But the point was to educate them on the difference that their, if their true motive is to keep people from smoking cigarettes or kids from using tobacco products, um, we're not, we're not the ones that, that are in that, in that realm of the issue that they're fighting. So, you know, we, we're, we're asking or we're educating them and, and asking them to, to at least acknowledge there's a difference between a cigar shop with a lot of adults smoking premium cigars versus their issue that may be with, let's say, a Philly Blunt or a filter cigar or, or other tobacco products. Yeah. So my point about the win is that I went from a situation of almost losing Corona Cigar Company because of the S-Chip Cigar Tax, to we now have a, a recognized voice in Washington where we're no longer always playing defense. Now, let me explain. Today, I learned that the seven or eight Democrat senators, including Dick Durbin, who's the whip, uh, which is the second highest ranking member in the Senate, he's always been a problem for us. Uh, they introduced a, a new tax bill that would change the way cigars are taxed and other tobacco products as well. But it would take essentially, they're talking $49.50 tax on a pound of tobacco. So if you say a box of Churchill cigars weighs two pounds, right, just for the cigars, that's $100 in tax. Okay,
3: So That's
0: unbelievable. That.
2: That's right. So that's what they're proposing. Now, of course, we, we're we, meaning the industry, will will push back on that. It's not going to get any traction. But here's what these guys do. Um, I mean, the only reason it's not going to get any traction is because the 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 Senate is controlled by the Republicans. But that can always change. When I say change, it could be four years from now, it could be eight years from now, whatever. Yeah. Well, most people do come to power. That's a bill that you know they they plant the seed now, so that they hope in four years or six years or eight years they can make that change. So. Nothing detrimental has come in hit this industry legislatively, okay? The Tobacco Control Act, all this FDA stuff we're dealing with now, happened in 2008. As soon as Barack Obama took office, Nancy Pelosi was the speaker, Harry Reid was the Senate president, Democrats had all three all three bases covered. So whatever they wanted went through. So since that time, and remember, we got the tax changed. No more $10 cap. We had 50 of 50 cent cap uh and and fda regulation went through but when it went through cigars weren't part of it but it gave the fda the authority to regulate and that's why we're fighting now because of course what people don't understand is as soon as you give the opportunity for for a uh, an agency to regulate something trust me they will get around to doing it and that's what we're battling now but you're not seeing anything crazy new coming out you've seen a lot of delays you've seen a lot of Advocacy on, it's just sending that message to Washington on itself is important. So if we didn't have CRA, if we didn't have IPCPR or PCA working, and the retailers that go up there and the manufacturers that go up there and the people that make campaign contributions to folks that are fighting our battle for us, we would be in a much different situation and in a much worse one.
0: Well, and a lot of, so what we talk about a lot on the show and the website is, is focusing on cigar consumers, you know, what they want to know. And, and also part of that is what they, what they in a way need to know just in order to not, you don't necessarily have to be, you know, a, a flag carrying warrior for the cause, but, at the very least, we want people to not make it worse. We we want to make sure that people have enough education and enough information as cigar consumers. So when they're talking to friends who aren't cigar smokers, when when they're talking to family members and things like that, that that they at least don't make you know uh, don't compound the the issue by having enough information that they can say, look, here here's the difference between. Cigarettes and premium cigars. Here's the difference between this and that and, 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 you know, encourage their friends who aren't smokers who aren't tobacco users of any kind that, that it's, it's, uh, um, it's it's just lazy and wrong to lump everything with the word tobacco into the same, into that same category. And, and here's why. And, and so where do you start, With the consumers, I mean, I know you do you do a lot with with, you know, people who who have, for lack of a better term, their finger on the button. But where where do you think the best place is to start with consumers?
2: The most effective area is when you have a local problem. And let me explain that, one because um, I'm going to use Florida as an example, because we're in Florida, right? (laughs) We have a Clean Indoor Air Act where you can't smoke inside, but cigar bars and cigar stores are exempt. A lot of states and local, especially the local governments, whether it's a county or uh, or a city council or a county commission, they'll pass laws where you can't have a cigar bar, okay, or you can't smoke in a cigar store. That's uh, indoor smoking is always controlled on a state level. Yeah. Or, or if they don't have a, a, a certain clause, they'll send it down to the local level meaning count city councils and, and, and county commissions. Consumers voice is the strongest on the local level and let me explain most if you're at a city council meeting or count or a county commission and they're talking about hey we want to ban a cigar bar or a cigar store. What they have to be able to do is visualize, well, is there a cigar store in my district? Or is there a cigar bar in my district? And even if the owner's not there, if customers are there who happen to be tied in with, you know, local politicians. Most local politicians know a lot of people, right? That's how they get elected. And, and you know, a consumer just talks to whatever the commissioner is and says, hey, man, is that right? You guys are going to ban smoking in my local cigar shop? Let me tell you, that in itself is one of the strongest messages period, because the guy knows the guy, you know what I mean? That the county commissioner, that that friend or that person that happens to enjoy a cigar. And he knows, it's like, well, what, you know, yeah, we want to help these, these, these groups and this feel good legislation of banning, whatever, uh, you know, smoking at a playground, but do we really want to ban smoking at the cigar shop or ban smoking at that cigar bar? Um, and that's where, Those battles, I don't want to, those battles can be won, period. They can be won. Because as long as your business is not, is a good member of the community, nobody wants to see that business go out of business. I shouldn't say nobody. There's a handful of radicals out there that do want it to go away. Yeah. But the overwhelming majority don't want to see it go away. I want to use New Orleans, for example. Because New Orleans, it was kind of crazy when they passed the smoking ban there. It's like, okay, you don't, you know, no exemption for the cigar store and no exemption for the cigar bar. And there's a little cigar factory sitting there in Bourbon Street, right? <clears throat> in Bourbon Street, it's not like it's a church, man. Almost anything goes in there on Bourbon Street, right? Right. So it's like not allowing people to smoke a cigar, you know, in a cigar shop on Bourbon Street. That's nuts. So, but, but
0: The things you are allowed to do are, uh, huh.
2: you know... Uh, that's my point. Yeah. I mean, so, as long as... Long as Politicians don't want to look stupid. And if it's brought up, they just don't like surprises. They don't want it to come up because every county commission meeting is on TV. It's always on the local cable channel. Not-
3: yeah.
2: So they don't like, they don't want to they don't want to look like a fool. So that's where consumers have the strongest voice. Now, in Washington, it's all about you know, numbers, and if you don't have a huge number of people in your group. Then it's all about, you know, who's who's supporting which politicians and that's the part that we have a a problem with is because we'll never, ever, ever be able to match the spending that big tobacco does or the spending that the health groups do. I mean, listen, you know, look how much money is in that industry. The the premium cigar industry is not that big. So so what we can beat them on is with the story in that in and. You're not going to see kids smoking premium cigars. At the End of the day. So, so politicians know that. Been, yeah. You know, kids are are, are are kids telling you about kids in the playground, you know, smoking premium cigars. Of course not. You yeah,
0: know, I've, I've said that a hundred times. That that these these are not these are not a danger to kids. And people people who sell these, people who make these, and people who consume these are are not a danger to children.
2: Right. So so people know that the politicians know that it's just a matter of continually you know, sending that message because it's, it's so true in politics, man. If you're not at the table, you're going to be on the menu. And, and that's the yeah. one point you got to be up there. And the unfortunate part is it's, it's never ending and it's expensive. And so it, it, it can wear you down, but it's, it's part of the deal. And and it's not just cigars anymore. Almost every industry nowadays has to have rep- representation, um, in Washington and in politics, because I don't care what you do, Look, the vape industry really got caught off guard here with this. All of a sudden, their world is like coming to an end. Oh yeah, which um, is unfair, in my opinion. However, I predicted this was going to happen over a year ago because there was there's no oversight of what goes inside a vape bottle. Um, and I, I mean, I could I'm drinking some Eagle Rare right now. I could put this inside a vape container, sell it at my store, and tell you it's. I can call it anything, right? Yeah. And that's the problem is that there's no labeling that has to be approved or any any type of ingredients that have to be disclosed on vape. Now, you might say, hey, well, why are you suggesting vape has to do that? But You're out there advocating that, that cigars don't go through all the testing. Well, here's the difference. I can, I'm can i smoking an FSG right now. I can order roll this cigar, and I can promise you, I don't care which cigar it is, you're gonna unroll it. You're gonna find one thing: rolled tobacco leaves. Right. Real simple, right? The end. That's it. There's nothing else there. Um, you know, with with the vape situation, it's like it's like liquor. Liquor has a, you know guarantee how much what proof it is. It's you know, and if it's if it's Scotch whiskey, that you know the age age date is verified as well. If it's uh, if it's wine, you can't mislabel wine. Yep. Say something's from from uh, you know France when it's actually from you know, whatever, Argentina. So, you know, there are certain things that that can be done without a heavy hand of regulation. So, you know, we'll see how vape shakes out. However, I think that it's, it is, it's wrong the way they just all of a sudden said, Hey, let's just ban it.
1: Yeah. I think cheese is more regulated than vapes. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. And that's true. And, 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 and so something I, I'm hoping that the, that some common sense will, will prevail in the, in the vape industry. Cause I do believe that, uh, um, you know, vaping is a, is a legitimate alternative to folks that are addicted to cigarettes. Yeah. And that's where it seems a little weird that it, there was just all of a sudden a blanket saying, Hey, let's get rid of it. Yeah. So, you know,
0: um, we got a, a question here from uh, a local guy, a good friend of ours,
1: big bear. He asks what would be the benefits of CRA and IPCPR uniting together?
2: Well, it's like any merger, you, you, you overheads get combined. You know, you'd have one office space. Um, you, would, you'd share resources. That's the biggest thing. Um, I can tell you what, one of the, the, the harder parts is, is that, you know, IPCPR or PCA is supposed to represent, um, premium cigar retailers. Um, and there are some differences that between a consumer group and a retailer group. So, you know there is a challenge there. Uh, I would say on a advocacy level um, that those two could work, be under one roof. That would be that would be perfect, uh, not a problem at all. Um, but as far as like where the where the issue comes in is when the trade uh, association has a trade show that's designed for retailers and they try to make it into a consumer event as well, um, that becomes problematic.
0: Yeah. That was, uh, that was one of the, you know, big things that came up was, uh, you know, the, which, so the way, the way that everything got announced, you know, from the PCA saying, uh, you know, first of all, let's, we're going to throw in a whirlwind of changes here. First of all, our, we have a new name, uh, we have a new logo, and we're going to add a consumer day next year. And by the way, we don't have a clue how we're going to do it um and and a lot of a lot of us saw the writing on the wall we 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 pretty much knew that that was a non-starter that 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 based on the way they tried to roll it out that it it probably wasn't going to happen um
1: or it was going to be a shit show or it
0: was going to be a shit show and um and fortunately and i i give them credit the the fact that they you know that they realized they didn't have a clue what they were doing when it came to what when it came to implementing a consumer day at at a retailer trade show,
1: focused trade show, yeah
0: that that they they realized we can't do this until we really make sure we have every i dotted and t crossed. And so, honestly, I, I say hats off to them for for saying, yeah, we pulled the trigger on this too fast, and we have to regroup."
2: Yeah, so I understand why they the whole reason they needed to do a consumer trade show was because they need funding. Um, Right. Advocacy in Washington is very expensive. Uh, Lobbyists aren't cheap and it's a, it's a never ending bill. And then you have this lawsuit that's been filed with the FDA. That's just costing for them. So the industry is under tremendous financial pressure, Um, you know, fighting for uh, the premium cigar industry in, in Washington. And so they needed to find a way to try and bring in some money. And uh, they thought that the consumer day was the answer to that. Um, I'm just a little surprised they didn't do more due diligence on this. Um, And actually, I mean, I would, you know, why wouldn't they bring in their biggest, uh, you know, buyers of booths and and get their feedback on this and and get some more feedback from other retailers and really, you know, have a little more of a, a, of a clear picture of, of the pros and the cons of doing it. So that, that part was, um, you know, they fumbled the ball on that. Let's see where it goes in the future. Yeah. But I do, I do recognize the challenge for sure. Yeah. Um,
0: so going kind of going back a little bit, I'm curious about what the process looks like for you when you work with some of these cigar manufacturers, some of these cigar brands to integrate, fsg tobacco into some of their blends you know there's there's drew estate there's davidoff there's uh, and and now jc newman tell us about what that process looks like for for you as far as uh the the cultivation of the tobacco the uh you know selling them the tobacco the blending process the collaboration process what does that look like
2: well being in the business for 23 years or whatever um there's certain manufacturing partners, I like to call them, that we've been doing business with a long time. And we know how their factories operate. We know how their companies operate. Um and so there's a handful that uh we wanted to work with. And uh there's only you know, there's not a whole lot of FSG tobacco to go around. Um so you know, we, we work primarily with, with four different factories. And the blending of the cigar um It's, you know, it's not much, when when you blend FSG into a cigar, you're blending another tobacco component into the cigar. So the process of creating that blend um, is similar to doing other cigars with one caveat. Um, The factories had to learn how to work with FSG. When I say work with, (coughs) at the farm what we do is we cure tobacco. So when you have, when you take tobacco from the field and it's green and you sow the leaves and hang them, in the barn that process from the leaves turning green to brown is the curing process and that takes that takes about four months let's say um after that the tobacco has to go through a fermentation process the fermentation process is done at the factories that make the cigars so when you ferment tobacco uh each if you're fermenting let's say connecticut broadleaf or connecticut shade or cameroon tobacco or Nicaraguan Lajero, or, or tobacco from Jalapa that's a little thinner, none of those tobaccos are, are fermented exactly the same. Each one is a little different. You, know, you might put too much water on one, too much heat on one, too much time on one, you can ruin tobacco. <coughs> so, because really fermentation process is a controlled compost is what it is. And so- Yeah. <laughs> Build up, you know, they're constantly checking the temperature in the middle of the the pilones every day. If that tobacco gets hot, they got to break it down and break the pilone down. And so there's a lot of oversight that's required. And if you don't, you know, you have to learn how to do that. Now, no one's ever worked with FSG. The very first crop went to Drew Estate, and there was a learning curve on how to ferment FSG tobacco. We learned that our tobacco does not like any water applied to it. It needs to be moist. You have to moisten tobacco when you when you ferment it. But it's, sometimes you'll see if you ever in a cigar factory they'll, they'll have hands of tobacco and be shaking them underneath a mister and getting it wet. You can't do that with FSG. Now you can do that with broadleaf because it's real thick and can handle it. So there's a learning curve on how to handle FSG and how to bulk it up. Once the factories understood that, then you have tobacco that's fermented and then you can make cigars with it. So there is, there is definitely a learning curve on how to handle that tobacco. Um, so that process is a little bit different. The actual blending of the cigars, um, you know, FSG carries a, a unique flavor and the good part is, is it's a dominant flavor. When you blend it with a cigar, you can taste it. So you, so you, there are certain tobaccos that, you know, you put it in there and you, you know, it can override other tobacco flavors. And, and so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great leaf to work with because if you had a leaf that you couldn't taste when you put in the cigar, um, you know, what's the point of growing this anymore if you can't, if you can't really taste it anyway. So we're, we're really fortunate in that. And, uh, you know, the people that we make cigars with, with Drew State or JC Newman or Davidoff or Agonarsa, um, these guys are experts. Yeah. We're, we're dealing with rookies. We're dealing with guys that really know what they're doing and, and, uh, you know, they're a pleasure to work with.
0: Yeah. And I'm I'm curious actually, um, and I know the the cost of of uh, of cultivating and growing is already exponential um, where you're at. But have you ever experimented? Is do you have you only ever done 100% sun grown, or have you ever experimented with growing under shade in Florida?
2: Always sun grown. Okay. The reason that um, there's two things. Shade is very expensive to to put up on a farm. So when you see a shade farm in Connecticut, that you have to put poles up, and these are big poles, by the way. And then you have to run cables across like a like a like a checkerboard pattern over a field. Yeah. And then you have to put cheesecloth on top. And that cheesecloth, you get a bad thunderstorm or tornado, it tears it all up. So you got a lot of extra cost to do it. You got extra labor involved, you got extra risk. The other thing is, is that shade, what happens is Connecticut shade got got destroyed by Ecuador because Ecuador looks like Connecticut shade and the consumer can't tell the difference. And the manufacturers keep calling cigars Connecticut when there's no Connecticut tobacco in it. So we didn't want to fall into that trap. That's why we stayed with strictly sun grown. Now in the history of Florida tobacco, there was shade and there was Cuban seed sun grown grown in the state. The shade farmers were up in uh, uh, Quincy and Havana, Florida. The Cubans were in a place called Fort Meade, Florida, and they grew Cuban tobacco during the period of the Spanish American war. There was a blockade on Havana Harbor, the factories in Tampa could, could not get their tobacco from, from Cuba. So the Cubans started, they had a 350 acre tobacco plantation, about a 45 minute drive from where our farm is. And, uh, so we knew they could do it 120 years ago. So there's no reason we couldn't do it today. So we knew that we could grow Cuban seed tobacco in the sun and it would be good because the stuff that they grew passed off as Cuban tobacco at the time. So, um, that's why we went with the grow. And um, we use we Cuban seed as well. So our, we're, we grow Corojo 99. That seed came from Eduardo Fernandez in, in uh, Nicaragua. Uh, and so you know we're very familiar with that tobacco. And I've always been a very big fan of Corojo 99. And that's what have been growing since
1: 2013.
2: Okay.
0: Um, and uh, we got uh, a question here from another viewer.
1: Mm-hmm. So Richard Schuster says, do you believe the laws will level out to a point where smaller cigar manufacturers will be able to become stable due to the FDA set of regulations.
2: I would hope so. I don't know if it's going to happen. Um, it's really hard to say because FDA regulations are tricky. <clears throat> and here's why. Um, nobody. I'm of the belief that nobody in the FDA wants to do a carve out for premium cigars and the reason being is that um, there's a career path that directors in the fda have so uh, if you are the head of the fda uh, your future employer is generally going to be a large pharmaceutical company or something in the health uh, sector healthcare sector and it actually in my opinion um, it damages someone resident someone's resume to say that hey i was the director of the fda and be exempted premium cigars. I'm not so sure Merck or Pfizer or Johnson & Johnson or whatever uh, is gonna like that. The, yeah. the, those circles are are somewhat health fanatics and so I don't think the FDA is looking to cut us a break. Now the flip side is is the FDA uh, has to listen a little bit to the Office of Management Budget which works directly under the president. In the past, that that side of the equation was totally ignored when the, uh, President Obama was the president, as was the Small Business Administration was totally ignored. In the Trump administration, the Small Business Administration at least now has a voice, uh, as does the Office of Management Budget. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, it's a battle we got to fight, but I think people should manage expectations. Uh, and the only other good thing that's coming out of it is FDA is figuring out that they don't that they. Misunderstood cigars, in my opinion, because of the testing that they were requiring. Um, I don't think they can even figure it out.
1: What do you it, think about initiatives like uh, the documentary Hand Rolled?
2: I think it's fantastic. The, the, listen, anything like that, anything that tells our story, whether it's social media, whether it's movies, whether it's Hand Rolled or it's magazines, anything that tells the story of the cigar lifestyle or cigars themselves is positive because that's advocacy working for you, even though mm-hmm. you might've been done for entertainment purposes, it doesn't matter. The more people are educated, it's just like our farm. There's so many people are interested in Florida sun grown tobacco farm, but they only smoke cigars. but They love that. You know, in the, there's, there's an affinity people have for nature and for farming and growing things. Right. Yeah. And so what this is, they're like, Oh man, that's cool. And so, um, anything like that is helpful for, for our industry. Um, not only for business purposes, but for advocacy.
0: Yeah. And also people have an affinity for, for history. And there's Mm. such a rich history and culture to the cigar, to the cigar industry that, that, you know, I've seen, I've, I've been to cigar factories, you know, different tours where people will be there with, you know, for example, there'll be a guy there with his wife. And the guy is a big cigar smoker, but the wife is not. But she's still enamored and fascinated with all of it, just because it's there's so much culture behind it.
2: Absolutely. So that stuff helps big time. So one of the things, back to Richard's question, though, what I think is important, though, what keeps this industry vibrant is the fact that the small guys have a chance. Um, listen, I started out of the bedroom in my house. Um, you know, we talked about Rafael Nadal and his olive barrel cigars. It, you know, listen, Rafael's story is fascinating. The guy came over from raft. craft.
3: Okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So
2: yeah. you look at this industry has always been like Don Papin, Papin Garcia. Mm-hmm. The guy was a cigar roller in Cuba. and Look at what his company is today. So you see these stories in, in the premium cigar industry where the little guy still has a shot, right? Now, listen, it is extremely hard to launch a cigar brand in in, in the premium cigar industry. Regulations are no regulations. It's tough. It's, you know, most brands fail. My point is, is that let's leave the cycle natural, meaning let the consumers be the judge of what brands, you know, make it or fail, not the FDA. There's enough, there's enough of a, there's not a huge barrier to entry in this industry, but it doesn't matter. There's a huge barrier to success. There's very few guys that have made it that are, let's call new cigar companies. I can count on probably, what, 10 fingers, okay? And, and there's probably been, there's hundreds of brands. Listen, I get pitched new brands every week. Yeah. And, and so the amount of brands that never make it, uh, you know, if you go back to when I started during the cigar boom to today, there's thousands of brands that never made it. Okay? It's a struggle to make it in this industry. So that is. The fact that you can that there, it's it's somewhat easy for someone to become a quote manufacturer, because most manufacturers aren't manufacturers; they're 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 branders. You right. Know, they buy, create a brand, and you know you can get a box of labels and order cigars from a factory, and you call yourself a cigar maker. Yeah. I don't care. That's fine. Because at the end of the day, ninety nine percent of them are going to make it. It's hard. Okay. I don't want to see the FDA being the one that. That prevents
0: people from entering the business. Amen. Yeah, that's so. And and uh, in going back back to that movie, Hand Rolled, Nick Perdomo had a great quote in that movie that has uh, honestly, since I saw the premiere of that movie at IPCPR two years ago, when Nick Perdomo said this, it it hit me like a ton of bricks, and it's so true. The when you're in business, whatever the business is. He he said, "I welcome competition from all comers. You know that's part of business is, is having competition from other manufacturers and other companies that do this that are in the same business you are. That's part of it. But yep. when when your number one competitor is your own government, yep. then there's the, you'll never succeed.
2: That's right. And that's that's really strange, but this business it's always been at least since I've been in it. Number one com- number one competitor has always been the government, just because of." not because of the FDA, but not, not, I should just say, not just only FDA. But Remember when you're talking about smoking bans and, and I mean, we had a situation in Orlando, the Orange County health department tried to ban smoking everywhere inside, outside, you know, cigar bars, illegal, everything else. So, you know, when you face those things, it's like business is hard enough. Uh, you don't want to be put out of business by, you know, seven guys on a, on a county commission meeting at, you know, 10 o'clock Monday night and, People are watching Monday Night Football or Dancing with the Stars. These guys are passing some rule to put you out of business. And yeah. that's the reality what goes on. So, so uh, you know, I, I'm 100% agree with Nick on that one. And, and hopefully, you know, in the end, I think this FDA stuff will work out. I'm just an optimistic person. Um, but I don't want to say I, I have, you know, rose-colored glasses on. This is going to be an expensive, long fight. and We'll, we'll, we'll deal with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um Jeff, we're going to shift really quick. We do uh we do a couple segments every week um just to uh you know kind of uh
1: lighten things lighten
0: up. things up a little bit. We uh we talk about uh a useless fact and then we talk about uh Garrett Garrett, Garrett fills us in on a, a interesting uh interesting, <laughs> interesting ways to die. It's uh <laughs> so great. let's start let's start with uh useless fact of the week. Um so the uh um, the, the Exxon Valdez oil spill, if you remember wow. back in the day, uh, and, and it, you know, I, I honestly can't remember when it was off the top of my head. I want to say it was 89, but I honestly can't say for sure I when it was, was. Say
1: 90, yep. but
0: it was a massive, you know, massive oil spill, you know, and, uh, there have been more since then. Um, but. This this one really kind of blew me away, and and I've learned when I do these useless facts that I have to check my sources because I'll get different answers from you know ten different websites. You know how the news is today, but um, so every year, sixteen million gallons of oil runs off into streams, rivers, and eventually oceans, and that's more that's more oil than was spilled by the Exxon Valdez. Can you tell me the source? Of that sixteen million gallons of oil that runs off into our oceans every year.
1: Is that crude? No. That's processed oil?
0: Yeah.
2: Holy cow. This in America? Yes. Fish oil.
0: Nope. Nope. Ooh. We're talking we're talking um,
1: Processed Black patron. Black
0: Gold, Texas tea.
1: Oil. Uh, North Dakota, no.
2: First, uh, off, yeah. do you believe that first you believe that that that's sixteen million gallons is flowing off. Because listen, I've driven across the country twice, crossed a lot of rivers and streams, and haven't seen oil slicks on any of them.
0: Right, exactly. But this one, this one blew me away every year. So I'll I'll just throw it out there, Alaska, and it's not from one particular state; it's from the whole nation. So from from all of the United States, sixteen million gallons of oil runs off into rivers, lakes and streams and eventually ocean just from
2: Oh, I got it. Hold on. What is it? I... Rain on the asphalt going in the storm drains.
0: That's exactly right.
2: That makes wow. sense. So
0: just just the drips that you see yeah. along the along the freeway, the drips that you see along the road just from cars, you know, having having leaky yeah. uh, oil pan gaskets or whatever. Every year, that contributes 16 million gallons of runoff. I believe that. Good call, Jeff. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, that one completely blew me away.
2: You know why? Because in Florida, if you ride a motorcycle when it's hot out, yeah, from the stoplight because that that little black strip in the middle, when it's hot out, that's like, man, you put your foot down, and you slip because it's it's oily.
0: Oh yeah, that's why I, I mean I don't have a motorcycle anymore, but when I did, you never ride right down the center. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Because that's a, a
0: death that's trap. trap.
1: That's a good one.
0: So that's uh that's the useless fact of the week. Um and now we move to my favorite segment. Numero, Numero de los, de los
1: muertos. muertos. What do you got? What's the number? All right, guys. This week's number is fifty thousand a year in the United States.
0: 50,000 people a year mm-hmm. in the United States die from this. I did
1: not say people.
0: Oh, not, okay. 50,000 deaths per year in the United mm-hmm. States.
1: Yep. And uh, there is a PSA that will come with this statistic.
0: Okay, so we'll have a shooting star with a rainbow, the more yep. you know.
1: Absolutely.
0: absolutely. Um, so 50,000 deaths. So it's you already gave part of it away, it's not people.
1: Correct uh
0: all right uh so are people a part of it or is it none of it is people
1: none of it is people
0: okay it's not ger- um, it's not germs like it was last week is it
1: no no nope. it's not germs it's not germs or a, a cell or amoeba um
2: birds from wind turbines
1: oh Ooh. is it is it geese run flying into wind turbines no nope, i'm I'm not that. Propita. <laughs> um.
0: Well, I'll, I'll tell you this: uh, a uh, a a goose, a goose is safer around me and my shotgun than it is around a wind turbine, because yeah. I've missed I've missed more geese than I care to admit. Um, it is preventable. It's preventable. Uh, a- animals, uh, mammals. It is a mammal. It's a ma- so it's a mammal. It's a single mammal. Yes. Okay. 50,000 of these mammals die every year in the United States. Well, is it, I mean, is it dogs? It is dogs. 50,000. But But it's from a particular cause. Correct. Oh, see, I haven't gotten there yet. So why do 50,000 dogs die every year? Um, I'm kind of at a loss. Jeff, do you have a guess? It's preventable. To sleep. no sir it's preventable
1: yep so i'll give you a little uh a little statistic one in 20
0: is it from eating vegan dog food
1: gosh no <laughs> uh well maybe no it's not uh one in 20 dogs are diagnosed with this heartworms it is heartworm seriously yep yeah <laughs> That kills fifty thousand dogs a year. Yep, and here's so here's some more staggering wow. statistics: is only one in twenty um, are diagnosed, but that is only what they're estimating as a quarter of good owners who actually get their dogs tested. The number of fifty thousand may be much higher, but that's just an abstract number because of what uh, they say um, you know, uh, from the numbers that they get. So about 250,000 dogs are diagnosed every year with heartworm. And, um, again, that's only about they're estimating a quarter of owners, dog owners are actually getting their dogs tested. And, uh, for those who don't know, um, heartworm can only be contracted by what does anybody know? Mosquitoes. That is correct. Is it? Oh, okay. Only <laughs> mosquitoes. So if my dog has well, a I, sh- I
0: should know that because the mosquito is the state bird of Minnesota.
1: It is very <laughs> accurate. And the other part is um, uh, uh, Minnesota and Wisconsin now have a super high rate of infection over the last 10 years because it was thought that. Uh, only the hotter climates like Florida and Texas are huge heartworm states because of their climate. And it was thought that uh, northern states like Minnesota and Maine and Wisconsin uh, were at l- less risk because of our climate. Huh. And so it wasn't as recommended by veterinarians here for the constant heartworm um, um uh, preventable medications yeah
0: so so um, it wasn't it wasn't like required it's i it gotta assume it's required in some states
1: you know that's a good question and i don't know but yeah. this all comes from the heartworm association of america uh
0: there's an associate of course there's an association there is. there's uh, an
1: association for everything yeah it's true but if it's killing fifty thousand dogs and that doesn't include cats who are also susceptible to uh, heartworm? Well, cats, I'm okay with. Yeah, I didn't include <laughs> that. But
2: I, I think the pills are expensive though now, or they used to be. I don't know what they cost now, but
1: they're not bad. Um, I I pay like I want to say I pay around fifty bucks a month for a whole thing for my oh, doc. Yeah. and he gets X amount of you know vet visits, and it includes all the vaccinations and. You know, D flea D tick D worm Yeah,
0: we, you know, we, we go uh, quarterly and get these, you know, little yep. cubes or whatever we feed to Oscar. Yep. And he, he loves them. He doesn't even know he's getting medicine. He, he doesn't
1: care.
2: Yep. My dog spit him out at the vet. <laughs> <get him. laughs> but it doesn't get them because every little chewy one they, they gave it to her, spit it out.
0: <laughs> yeah, some dogs are like that. They just won't. They, they just know they're like, yeah, you're trying to give me something that's good for me. Get yeah. that, get that away from me.
1: So my PSA uh, to everybody is uh, please go and get your pets checked for heartworm, uh, get them on uh, preventable medicine. Cause at the end, heartworm will kill your, your loved one. Yeah. And, uh, and it takes uh, a heart, a heartworm can live for seven years in a dog and can grow to 24 inches in length. Holy crap. Yep. Yikes. Well, that's, that's stuff on nightmares
0: right there. Yep. You're welcome. Well, there, there's the shooting star. The more, you know, yep. um, so, uh, Jeff, we, uh, we have lightning round questions that we ask everybody. Um, and I want to get your take on, on these questions here. If, uh, if, and some of them we may have already touched on, but let's, let's hit these. Um, if you could give only one piece of advice to specifically new cigar consumers what would it be
2: start with a mild cigar
0: okay yeah that's a good that's that's a good way to go definitely um you don't want to you don't want to lose your lunch on uh, your first time out of the gate um if you could uh give one piece of advice and obviously you are a retailer but if uh if you know somebody said hey i'm in uh New Mexico and you know Albuquerque and I want to open a new cigar store if you could give one piece of advice to a new cigar retailer what would it be
2: location is extremely important and take your time and do your due diligence on choosing your location
0: yeah that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's, it's not much different than, you know, buying a, buying a house, uh, a residential house, you know, location is key. Very.
2: Um,
0: so if, uh, if you could give, and we've touched on this a lot just from the, you know, standpoint of, uh, um, you know, organizations and uh, legislation, but if, uh, and I know you do regularly give lots of advice to these organizations, but. Um, If there was only one that you could give to the PCA, what would it be?
2: I'd say just based on this recent debacle, though, uh, with the consumer day is to uh, broaden your circle of, I don't want to use the word of influence, but broaden your circle of your resources that you uh, that you take input from.
1: Hmm.
0: I like it. Yeah, that's I haven't. Nobody's answered that way. I like that answer. I like that a lot. You know, expand. Uh, I think I think you're right though, because a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, we get we, we sort of uh, we get pigeon pigeonholed, and we we get sort of this laser focus on one area, and there's usually a lot more going on around us that we forget about. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's good. That's good. Let's, um, quickly go to, uh, to notable smokeables. Jeff, we, we rattle off, uh, two or three cigars that we've smoked in the last week that were interesting or, um, or something like that to us. So, um, feel free to jump in, uh, here. My first one that I smoked this week that was, uh, that I had never tried before. Um, there was a, at Ramsey Smoke Shop, there was a black label trading company event at the, uh, at the Ramsey smoke shop. And I had not tried the, uh, they call it the Santa Muerte Barrio Santo. And it's a, it's an event only cigar. Uh, and let me tell you that cigar, you know, Garrett and I talk about this all the time. I don't, I'm not bothered by strong cigars, uh, cigars that a lot of people say, Oh my gosh, that cigar is really strong. I don't even feel it, but that cigar, I felt it. Um, there, there's a lot of strength and depth and richness in that cigar that, um, I genuinely, when I finished that cigar, I felt like I just had a glass of whiskey mm. and it just, it had that, you know, that, that, that warm feeling mm. that you get up there and, and it was, um, not for beginners by any stretch of the mm-hmm. imagination.
1: I had a, uh, triple eight Lancero, uh, Elugione, and, Oh yeah. Oh gosh. You know how uh, you, you smoke a cigar you knew was good, but then you forgot how good? Yeah. That was that experience. Yeah, I'll have to week. pick
0: up some of those. I haven't I haven't had one of those in a long time.
1: I hadn't either, and it was fantastic.
0: Um, Jeff, anything coming to mind you've tried recently that kind of piqued your interest?
2: Yeah. The uh, the CBD infused cigar that I don't even know how to say it. Jossum Crawl. Yeah,
0: Jossum Crawl, uh, Risty Rustevsky.
2: So we brought those in, and people were actually surprised that uh, that I that I brought them in. Um, the ten or the hundred? Uh, both. Both. And, okay. and I brought them in because they're they're unique, and I know that there are people that um, are curious about uh, CBD, and you know the fact that it doesn't have any uh, THC or any hallucinogenic properties. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, we brought him in, um, and I smoked the hundred um, milligram one in the Maduro, and I was very surprised. It was it was a very nice cigar. Um, now I I don't know, you know, at the time I had a tooth that was bothering me, and so that's why I smoked it. I'm like, well, you know, because you people talk about putting CBD oil on a, you know, like if you have it was it was a, a crown I was getting in got done last week, but anyway. So I'm like, well, let me see if this thing helps with my 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 uh, tooth abscess, and maybe it's a placebo effect or whatever, but it it made my mouth feel better.
3: Yep.
1: So yeah. It doesn't yeah. surprise me at all.
0: Yeah, I haven't I haven't tried the uh, the hundred uh, milligram, but I've had quite a few of the uh, of the twenties, and uh, I think even you know c- CBD or no, I think it's a I think it's a nice. Uh, a nice little cigar that mm-hmm. that smokes very well and has good flavor to it. Definitely,
2: little Maduro, the, the hundred. It tasted really good. So, uh, so that was that was a surprise because I don't even know who makes that cigar. Um, and so it was it, it was good tobacco that was in it because a lot of times, you know, there's people that will put stuff in a cigar and the tobacco that they made the cigar out of is shit tobacco and I don't know which. <laughs> you have shit tobacco, you can put any wine, it's still going to, if you know what good tobacco should taste like, yep. you're still going to pick up that, that, that bad tobacco.
3: Yeah, and, absolutely.
2: And, um, that was not the case for that cigar. It actually had very good tobacco in that. So that was uh, my surprise.
3: Uh, yeah.
2: And, and it's kind of weird because I haven't had a lot of surprises in cigars in a long time. It seems like, um, but that was a, that was a surprise.
0: Yeah. Um, so this, uh, couple weeks ago, our friends at, uh, uh, general cigar sent us some new things to try out and, um, they re-released, uh, the Partagas Decadas. Um, you. it was, it, it dropped off the market. I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, it was on the market for a while and, the, and they took it off the market and they re-released it this year. And, uh, they sent us a few of those and I'm not going to lie. That was a damn good cigar, right? So you smoked one too? I did. Yeah,
1: and that's uh, that was the next one on my list as well.
0: Yeah, it's uh, Cameroon and yeah. uh, good cigar. Damn good cigar.
2: We 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 had continued to sell the Dakotas until they were actually didn't have more uh, in inventory. Um, that that was always the best part of this, in my opinion. Had great flavor, and and the packaging used to come in with the glass tubes and all was really nice. Yeah, uh, I have not smoked the new one. But I will say this, that uh, I know for a fact, you know, I, I visited General Cigars factory in the Dominican Republic probably 10 years ago, and this was back when the Cullmans, um were, were like the final year where they owned it. And Edgar Coleman Sr. was the real deal, and they had old, old Cameron wrapper. So when they released Partius 150s and the um they weren't, They weren't lying about the age statements of those tobaccos, and so uh, they are very good cigars. And I'm, and I am not surprised that the new ones are 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 as good as the old ones. Um, I have not had the new release, but I do know we have them at Corona Cigar. Um, I just haven't smoked the new ones yet, but I'm not surprised by that because the other one, the originals, were very good.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was, I was really. It shocked me. Yeah, to be honest, it Um, really did. Uh, would you have another one, Gary? I do.
1: Uh, and my last one is uh Matt and I were fortunate enough to go to the release party for the new CAO Vision Sesh- uh, session. Session. Session, whatever. Yeah. Session and uh, got to spend some time with Ricky Rodriguez and he uh, had gifted us one of his new uh, pre-released uh, CAO V19s. Yeah. And that's another cigar that Shocked me. Um, there was a lot of spice up front, but then it mellowed out. Yeah, and usually it's, it's the other it's way around. It's interesting
0: because yeah, I, I finally smoked one too, and and it's bl- it's almost blended in reverse. Right. So it's kind of interesting the way that they place the the leaves in that blend. It's cool. I, I
2: had that, but I had the session, and I didn't care for the session. I was, uh, the
0: session I need. I've only smoked one, and we smoked it at the event in a room that was just so crowded and so hot and so completely clogged with smoke that I, and, and, you know, it was at the end of the day, like our eighth or 10th cigar of the day. (laughs) So that's the only one I've smoked. They did send us some more and I need to give it a a revisit before I, you know, give it a a final verdict.
2: Yeah, I haven't had
1: it again. Mike
2: strong and that one was a little harsh for me too, the the session, so, Um, but Rick does a good job. A lot of the, uh, my favorite CEO would have to be the original um, Duro, the box press one hardly sells yeah discontinued but um we'll see what that other one is you gave you
0: yeah um and my it's interesting that you 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 brought up uh uh this these people earlier um but i had already had this on my list um in i, I was fortunate enough to be able to visit their factory um uh last year at the nicaraguan cigar festival in in uh 2018 and uh I smoked the, uh, the, the K Habano, um, by Karen Berger. So, uh, the, uh, you know, Kiki Berger's wife, uh, he passed away in 2014 and, uh, she kept things going. And I was fortunate enough to be able to visit that factory and meet the people there and meet her. And, um, they had some of their cigars in the commemorative box that came for attendees of the the Nicaraguan cigar festival. And um, I hadn't smoked any since uh, I got a couple at the factory tour and I took this out of the box. I think it was just yesterday. Uh, And, and it's just, it's just a really solid cigar. It's a nice six Mm. by 52 box press um, and just, just flavorful, properly constructed, just well-blended, you know, a cigar I would, I would happily go back to again and
3: again.
2: I'm glad to hear that Um, Kiki, like I said, it was like one of my best friends. And uh, I remember when him and Karen started dating and uh, she is a a real angel. And I I mean that as in a a true angel, you know, Kiki was on dialysis. His kidneys were failing and stuff. And uh, she uh, gave one of her kidneys to Kiki. Yeah. He stuck around with us for many years after that. So uh, that's, that's uh, a pretty selfless act right there. Yeah. uh, I'm glad to see that that the uh, you know the factory's still going all. When I back at back then man he, Kiki was making Cupido cigars. I don't know if you remember those. They had a heart on a little little cupid cherub on the band. Yeah. The old days but uh Kiki always made really good cigars.
0: Yeah. And uh it, it was so great to meet them and you know be standing in the middle of that factory while while she told their story and um you know, everybody It was, it was just amazing. Not, not only them, you know, she lived through it and, you know, other family members were there, but honestly, even, even just us tour goers were there on the tour. Everybody was getting choked up by the story. It was, it was just a really warm moment.
2: Good people.
0: Yeah. Um, Jeff, is there anything else interesting that you've had this past week or so or, or
2: I'm still going through a lot of, uh, there's a lot of cigars that get sent to me that may or may not be, be introduced. So, so I see a lot of, a lot of brands before they, they come out, but I don't always know if they are going to come out. Yeah. Um, so I got to tell you that I smoke more FSGs than anything though. That's like my, that, man, I I smoke one of those every morning and every, every afternoon on the way back from the farm too. So uh, uh, that's, you know, I've been pretty much going through that. I had a couple, couple new cigars in the last uh, two weeks. I don't want to say the names of them though, but they, I was not impressed with them. Um, we'll see. But anyway. Well, that happens. You know. Yeah, it does. But I was, like, I was hoping that they might be better. But.
1: now, are you farming 365?
2: Um, no, but our, we do have operations going 365 because between the the tobacco and then we uh, we, we raise cattle too. So. Um, we did the we did the, the the cattle beef cattle as a way to uh, keep the farm a 365 operation because okay. otherwise you when you're done with tobacco you you'd have to get rid of every employee at the farm you need to keep a few people around so uh, so we do beef cattle as well so we got a lot of a lot of irons in the fire there
0: For yeah sure um, so uh, before we close out, Jeff, just give everybody um, another sort of closing idea of where they can find out more about Corona Cigar Company, more about Florida Sun-grown tobacco, and more about um, you know some of the legislative stuff that's going
2: on. Well, the, the best thing for legislative stuff is they make sure you're on the email from, from Cigar Rights of America because they, they keep you up on it. And uh, if you're on Facebook, make sure you follow Glenn Loop, uh, you know, because he's always um, – posting stuff uh, that's relevant to that. As far as FSG goes, um, the, the American has been shipped to retailers, uh, uh, select retailers, um, uh, mostly the higher the, the, the higher volume Diamond Crown stores down. Um, so that cigar has made its way across America, but in a very small way. Um, so if you see that on your retailer shelf, uh, pick that up. It's a uh, 100% American tobacco that's, that's used in the cigar. Um our wrapper is on that cigar. It's the only cigar that has Florida Sun Grown as the wrapper. Uh, it's handmade in Tampa and everything is made in America, from the box to the bands to the from the from the cellophane, hundred percent American made. Um, our wrapper on it, uh, Connecticut Broadleaf and Pennsylvania Broadleaf and the Fillers. So that cigar, uh you see it on your retailer shelf, pick it up. Um there's not allowed a lot of them. There's only two rollers that roll those cigars, so very small production. Yeah, um, if your store FSG is limited as well to the, what's called the Drew diplomat accounts, so the traditional FSG cigar, the ones with the with the green band on it, has a little bit of a shine there, cellophane on it, but the the uh, traditional Florida sun Grown uh, is distributed through Drew Estate uh, to their what are called the uh, their Liga Privada accounts, so it's it's that cigar, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so that's the one that's sold to uh, uh, the Drew Estate uh, Liga Provada accounts. So if you see that in your retailer, there's two varieties of it. One's a box, box press limited edition, and then the other one is the, the round uh, round version that has the Brazilian uh, Maduro wrapper on it, and the box press uses Connecticut Broadleaf. So they, they, they look almost the same, except one's square press, the one's round. So if you see those on your retailer shelf, um, Those are the two cigars that are nationally distributed uh, through Drew Estate, uses the filler from our our Florida Sun Grown uh, in those cigars. There's a a couple, we have like six different brands in Corona Cigar that are exclusive, Uh, the ones that are made in Aganorsa. um, So that's the the, the Corona 20th anniversary you're smoking has FSG in the filler. Uh, We have one called Intensa with FSG in the filler, and we have a Army of Angels with FSG in the filler. All three of those cigars use a different blend, but they all use uh, Florida Sun Grown filler as well as the Aganorsa Corojo filler. So it's the same identical seed, but grown in two countries. So I like to call those cigars that are brothers and sisters that are rolled together in one, because it's the exact same seed, but grown in our farm in Florida and grown on uh, Eduardo Fernandez's farms in Nicaragua. So that's the Corona 20th anniversary. Army of Angels and Intensa. Uh, and then for Davidoff limited edition ones, there's a Davidoff Tampa Florida Sun Grown. Uh, and then there is a Corona 20th Anniversary Davidoff that also has Florida Sun Grown in the filler. So those are the, the two offerings from Davidoff. And then we have a very small production cigar made by uh, a local person here. It's called Pinca Santa Fe. I don't know if you've heard of that cigar, but it's really good. Uh, we have one blend. You see it, I'll hold it steady.
3: Yeah.
2: Right on the in underneath it, it has a Florida sun grown secondary band that's exclusive exclusive to us, and that has Florida sun grown uh, in the blend as well. So, you know, we like to play around with the cigars. Um, one of our most popular small batch cigars, too, is something called Florida sun grown farm rolls, which is pretty interesting. We take the tobacco uh, that's cured in the barn we pack them into our barrels of our single barrel bourbons. We do a lot of single barrel bourbons for our bars. So whenever you buy barrels of bourbon, they send you the barrel that the whiskey came from. Okay, so you have that, we have those barrels and we pack those barrels with Florida sun-grown tobacco that's cured. We let it age in the farm for about a year. Um, It's aging, but it doesn't go through any fermentation. So it allows you to smoke tobacco in a cured form, aged form, rolled into a cigar 100% FSG, so you get to really taste what the FSG flavor is. Mm. We don't lot of those, and we sell them online and sell them in our stores. They're very rustic. We don't use molds for them. It's intended to look like a, like a, a cigar that's rolled at the farm, as, as if you're tasting and testing tobacco. Yeah. So that's something very unique, too. Um, and on a cigar, we've got our three locations in Orlando. All of them have... Crazy liquor selections at the bars. when I say crazy, I mean we've got we've got whiskeys that are some of the stuff's three thousand dollars an ounce. You oh. can get crazy, very old stuff. Matter of fact, uh, when whenever a Macallan comes out with very, really rare bottles of whiskey, we always uh, get one. Uh, there's usually one that goes to the state of Florida and goes to us. Um, recently, we we've had the Macallan 72, and that sold for. A little over seventy thousand dollars for the bottle, and uh, so we, we deal in a very high end um, single malt scotches, and then our exclusive single barrel bourbons. So, uh, if you're in really great uh, brown spirits and brown whiskeys, man, um, Corona cigar, you, you, there's I don't know of any selection anywhere like what we have. So uh, that in our Davidoff store in Tampa. So yeah, so th- that's the quick elevator pitch on all the stuff that we have to offer and uh you know and don't forget com.
0: yeah outstanding um so a couple things coming up for us uh, actually local for all all of our our minnesota friends and family who are who are watching and listening um on thursday night uh the 26th at tobacco grove Um, Mike Rosales from Roma craft tobacco is going to be there and Roma craft is going to be holding an event. I will be there uh, just to say hi to everybody and smoke some good cigars with people. And I know Jeff that uh, tobacco Grove did get some of the American in the humidor. So I will be picking up some of those to try those as well. Very Very excited.
2: Good people at the store.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And I want to give uh, a quick shout out and RIP to, um a uh carl the cuban ruiz um for any food network junkies like myself out there um carl passed away uh, this last week at the age of 44 who was a dynamic chef and personality on the food network um so just a r.i.p to to uh carl and his family yeah
2: what did he pass away from you know
1: they're not saying, but what it looks like is uh, maybe sleep apnea, heart attack. Yeah,
2: Get a check, man. I sleep with a CPAP every night. Yeah,
1: me
0: too. That's that's tough. I mean, forty-four. I mean, right. You know, get. Uh, you know, just uh, hug your families and uh, you know tell everybody you love them. Yep, pretty much every day. Um, Hey, guys, uh, next week on the show on October 1st, we have uh, Mr. Mike Bellady from MLB Cigar Ventures. Uh, Very excited to have him on the show. And the following week on October 8th, we are going to be lucky enough to uh, have, a. a, am sure it's going to be a crazy fun conversation with uh, Juan Cancel and Bill Ives from uh, Cuba Recano, otherwise known as Protocol Cigars. They're going to be live on the show. And we have some other guests coming up after that as well uh, in the coming weeks. Um, So, guys, thank you, as always, for watching the show live on Facebook and submitting your questions and your comments. Mm -hmm. For those of you who are listening on your favorite audio podcast platforms, seriously we're grateful for every second that you spend with us to learn more about this uh this great culture of premium cigars uh if you would take just a moment to rate the podcast and subscribe to it we would really appreciate that um if you have any questions as always you can hit us up on facebook or you can email us directly from howaboutthatsigar.com uh check out the new content that's up there and uh as always until we see you next time burn cigars not bridges Take care, guys. Thank you.